We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Midnight Madness on February 8th, 1980. It was written and directed by Michael Nankin and David Wechter and released by Buena Vista Distribution, a.k.a. Disney. Um, although they tried to hide that uh, when they were making the film and releasing it because they wanted people to think there might be boobs in it, so they... <laughs> said Buena Vista everywhere instead of calling it Disney Pictures. But it's a Disney film through and through. The theme song for the film was composed and possibly performed by the director and his wife. Um, we start the movie on what looks like the CSUN campus and then move quickly to the Disney lot. Do you agree that looked like the Disney lot? Oh, it definitely was the Disney okay. lot. It had the same paint colors and the window coverings. Cute like, cottage buildings and everything. Yeah, it was definitely the but Disney it's, lot. But it's supposed to be playing a college campus, but most of it is just the, the actual Buena Vista lot on Buena Vista and Burbank. Um, the, these two girls on roller skates are delivering invites to the heads of five teams for this mm-hmm. contest. Um, Adam, played by David Naughton, who is the lead in An American Werewolf in London. Um, Harold, who is uh, played by Stephen First, who is in a bunch of stuff, but they probably put him in this because of Animal House, because he's he's basically the lead yeah. of the Animal House team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I Animal House is where I go. I also go to the Dream Team. The Dream Team with Michael, with Michael Keaton, Keaton. <laughs> Peter Boyle, the, all the crazy people. It's like a, a cuckoo's nest, but a little less uh, traumatic. <laughs> and okay. uh, it's just Michael Keaton as the it's it's Batman instead of Joker <laughs> leading mm-hmm. a bunch of crazy people um, and just takes them out of the insane asylum on a trip to go see a baseball game basically. Oh, well, Stephen First is one of the people That sounds like an interesting movie. When did that come out? Well, that's gotta be early 90s for sure. Mm, I would say mid to late 80s. But it's also um, does it have Christopher Lloyd? Yeah. Christopher Lloyd. So he's in both of them oh, You should check that out um, I guess we will on this show in does it also, several years. You're right, Martin, 89. And Stephen First is like the guy that's obsessed with baseball, right? Correct. Yeah, he he only speaks in like baseball jargon. Uh, Which baseball comes up a lot in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest also. <laughs> yeah. So if this movie sounds interesting to you, stick around this podcast for the next nine years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've covered Adam and Harold. Uh, Donna is the lead of the all-girl team. Played by Maggie Roswell. Do you guys know who Maggie Roswell is? No. Maggie Roswell is the voice of Helen Lovejoy, Maude Flanders, Mrs. Hoover, oh. and Luann Van Houten. Oh. Yeah. Who I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, she kept asking for raises until they cut her out of the show. And a traumatic episode for Mr. Flanders. Yeah, geez. I'll get some hot dogs. No footlongs. I know. They make you uncomfortable. But- I think he's lost two wives now on the show. But he he but lost she, another wife since I stopped watching. But she's still playing other characters. Is she? Yeah. Because I thought they just wrote Helen Lovejoy out of the show after Maude died. Well, I don't think I don't know about Helen Lovejoy, but uh, Luann Van Houten is still. Is she, is she still? Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's still Maggie Roswell? According to IMDb. 
Uh, either way, I was pretty sure it was a contract dispute that caused that character to be killed in the first place. But it could be mistaken. But yeah, so uh, Maggie Roswell is the head of, of the all-girls team. Uh, Wesley, Eddie Deason, is the head of the all-nerd team. Sorry, were you going to say that? Sorry, something? no, I was trying to figure out because I was like... I thought she died, but no, that was Edna Krabappel. That was Mrs. Krabappel, yeah. who was also married to Flanders at the time on the show. Yeah, when okay. she died because they got married after um, after Maude passed away. So he's just bad luck, that guy. Yeah, I just didn't want you to attribute a contract dispute to somebody if they had who died. literally died. No, that would be <laughs> that would be sad. No, Maggie Roswell was alive and kicking. Um, Eddie yeah. De- yeah, Eddie Deason. Eddie Deason is Wesley, the leader of the of the nerd team. Uh, this is this the first character, uh, or the first actor who I have met in person from any of these movies. Jess got to meet someone from Simon, and then it's taking until now for for me to have met one of our cast members. Well, I have a picture of you with. You have several pictures of us because he came to a midnight screening of Midnight Madness. We couldn't stay for the movie, but oh. we stayed for the movies before it. I didn't, it was I like didn't a realize, triple feature. I didn't realize that was the midnight movie we missed. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Eddie Deason was there and we went to take a picture and he kept blinking right when you took the picture. So we have three or four pictures of him with his eyes closed standing next yeah, to me. Yeah, but that's kind of his character. I it think is. that works. <laughs> but we, we got one with his eyes open eventually. Um, but he kept saying, ah, oh, I'm sorry. I screwed that up. Can we do that again? And just, we kept doing it over and he kept blinking every time. Every time it happened, picture. he just went, man, dog. <laughs> but, uh, people know Eddie Deason. You know his voice. He just... Especially the Mandark. Mandark! <laughs> he was Eugene in Greece 1 and 2. Um, I, I really like him in Critters. Yeah. In the one of the shape-shifting alien characters. Um, he's, he's a small part in War Games. Right. And uh, yeah, Malvin in War Games. Mm-hmm. And he was, uh, he was in 1941, oh, uh, yeah. just previous to this. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of people from 1941 over the course of this movie. And then the last team uh, is the the leader is Lavatos, who um, is played by Brad Wilkin, who's kind of a budget Kurt Russell type character. I feel like Dirk Blocker did the heavy lifting for that team. It would have yeah. made more sense for him to be the team leader, but he's not the team leader. It's the other guy. But yeah, so everyone meets with Leon. Leon! Please. Hold your applause. They're all surprised to meet that it's uh, this postgraduate student, Leon, who they're all familiar with, who just kind of rolls out from behind a curtain to surprise them all. Um, I really like this character. Like, yeah. I feel like we every everybody had one of those friends who was just kind of like, he was friends with everybody, or he was kind of just that weirdo that, like, yeah. you know, just went too far with everything. But he's but like a natural everyone. leader somehow. Yeah. But uh, this guy reminds me mostly of Jay Baruchel. But I see a little bit of like Seth Rogen and even a little bit of, um, what's his name from uh, the Spider-Man movies? and uh, Tobey Maguire. Freaks, Freaks and Geeks. Uh, Tobey Maguire? Martin Starr? Yeah, uh, Martin Starr a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> not Tobey Maguire. He was not on Freaks and Geeks. You could have also said the person who wrote Homecoming because he was the main character on Freaks and Geeks. I was going to say James Franco next. Uh, James Franco is also in Spider-Man. And was also in Freaks and Geeks. And the girl from Freaks and Geeks is Hawkeye's wife, but that's not Spider-Man related. That's Spider-Man adjacent. Um, (laughs) But anyway. If we start uh, going Spider-Man adjacent, we'll be here all day. They they, they both got snapped. (laughs) They did. blipped, I guess is the term. Blipped. Well, it's... It's it's blipped on the Sony side, <laughs> <laughs> so they're gonna have to split it up. Um, was there was there a divorce papers that said you get blip and we get snap? 
Um, I don't know. Who gets the bloop, though? <laughs> Do they both get to use the bloop, that weird underwater sound? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's <laughs> <laughs> a famous underwater recording. It was probably like two icebergs dragging against each other, but for a long time people pretended it was Cthulhu or something. Monsters. They sea called monsters. it the bloop. It's kind of like the wow signal that they disproven also. Um, anyway. Leon. <laughs> just ignore Patrick here, everyone. <laughs> I, I speak exclusively in... Uh, obscure Wikipedia references. He does. <laughs> he always does. I have to live with this. Um, but yeah, so he planned this game where these five teams will have to finish a, uh, a sort of a scavenger hunt across Los Angeles following clues to locations for more clues. It's like the Amazing Race. Um, there's no prize. And everyone immediately <laughs> says no. <laughs> so uh, they all just get up and walk out like, oh, this was a waste of my time. Why did I come But here? luckily... He strategically picked these particular people out because they, you he know. He knew he, that external forces would drive them back into yeah, the game. They all Basically, just hate each other enough that they're willing to try to beat each other and do yeah, this. He has these two assistants, Candy and Sunshine, who are like, oh no, Leon, your game, you worked so hard on it it's and harem. it totally <laughs> fell apart. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. These people will be back. They have no choice. Um, they have no free will. Green team, that is the the meat machine. Meat, meat uh, machine. Which is kind of the so the five teams are basically split into the the good guys, the girl team, the nerds, the jocks, and the animal house. Like I don't like friend. that you just call them the girl team. Like they're like a sorority. I think you know they don't just they're just girls. I'm using '80s nomenclature. <laughs> there was a girl team. There was the frat th- team, and there was the jock team. I think sorority was a term in the 80s. Were they a sorority? I believe they were. Okay. Yeah. The sorority team, the fraternity team, the jocks, the nerds, and the good guys, essentially. And so the the jocks pick two fights immediately after having turned down this challenge. One fight against the sorority where they... Just bust into a sorority party with a keg and spray and everybody with beer. them in beer like it's like big, you know, fire hose, like bursts of beer coming out of this yeah. keg. Covering Way the more room than would it. have been in this keg. And they destroy the entire house with it. Yeah, that house is never going to not smell like beer. Uh, but they also go to a debate uh, competition and just start throwing food at the nerds. And that's, like, just needlessly picking fights with both of these people after they turn down the competition. Um, Adam, who is the, the leader of the yellow team, the good guy team, uh, is the counselor for the school. Although he appears to be a student also. I think yeah. he decided he's like a senior or he's at least, he's a student at the school, but he counsels freshmen. Yeah, his little placard distinctly said freshman counselor. Right. So, you know, we only let you, you know, help the most impressionable yeah. youth. And he has this sort of geeky guy sitting in his in, in his chair and he's trying to talk him out of dropping out of school because the guy feels very uncomfortable, and uh, he's not—he's not—he's not getting into college life very well. And uh, and he says, "No, no, no! You got to give it a try. We're going to figure things out. We're going to make everything better. You just got to stick it out." Um, and then after that guy leaves, Laura, who I guess is an assistant in the counseling office, says, "You know what? We should stay in the game. If you want to be a good example to people and show people that dropping out is wrong, we should do this challenge that Leon set up." Um, and it'll be a, a good a good way to show people what it's like to, to stick to it. Um, so back at Harold's house, Harold is the frat team led by this 
John Belushi ripoff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, he's just a total asshole. He's just like throwing stuff on the well, ground yeah, and just, telling just his maid to, to make clean, the it maid clean it up. Yeah, but it's not a handful he, of candy down. But his whole team is nothing but yeah, assholes. they're all a bunch of they, like, they don't even really. Jerks. They don't even seem to really like him. Yeah. How are we defining this team again? What do we call the them? frat? They're the frat team. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really feel like they're a frat. I feel like they're supposed to be the Animal House group. I guess. You have to differentiate them from the jocks who are all in Letterman jackets and everything. Oh, yeah. These guys are definitely not the jocks, but I feel like, I don't know if they're, I feel like they're maybe the rich kids. I I don't know. Because, you know, because he. I feel like frat guys are, there's always like one frat guy who his dad has, you know, the EM50 urban assault vehicle for some reason. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they include this guy. Like, you know, this guy's there is, girlfriend. There's also the girlfriend is on the team. Right. But I also feel like that's sort of like, it's it's kind of weird that she's dating him in the first place. So I, yeah. you know, like, because he's just this big, fat, mean slob. Well, and... I felt like the, I mean, the nerds and the jocks are obviously polar opposites. So if you have a sorority team, then the other team is inherently the fraternity team. But you're right. The, I mean, the guy's girlfriend is on the team and they don't talk about a fraternity or live in a fraternity house. He lives with his dad. Yeah, so I don't know. I feel like like I would have defined them as the rich kids. Okay, then they're the rich kids, but they're also just impressively stupid. Um, and uh, Harold is immediately getting chewed out by his dad because somehow his dad found out. Probably just Leon just straight up called him because everyone in town right, right, Leon. right. And he's like, "I just found out that Adam is going to play Leon's game. You got to play Leon's game. Why would you drop out?" And he's like, "But dad." And he's like, don't butt dad me. You're going to do this. And he's like, okay, fine. I guess I'll do it. And he finds out that, oh, not only are you going to do it, but I have the perfect tool for you. This super cheater van Mm -hmm. with a mega computer. And it's basically the urban assault vehicle. It's just like a really long motorhome with a bunch of cool stuff in it that they can use to win this contest. With an impossible computer that you could just essentially write anything into and it'll give you the answer. we don't have now, (laughs) but somehow existed. These clues would confuse the hell out of Watson. Yeah. The yellow team borrows a Jeep from a friend. Like, they're they're making fun of this guy's Jeep to kind of nag him into letting them use his Jeep for the contest. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the blue team, that's the the rich kid team, gets their high-tech van. And this, this whole time, everyone's on Harold's case about his eating habits so he's having to eat in secret and complain whenever people like talk food out of his hands. So he's he goes through the van and is like packing it with marshmallows and Oreos, Oreos and snacks all, all over the place so that he can just sneak them out while they're on the contest and not have to worry about people bugging him about food. Um, God forbid you go one evening without eating. Yeah. Um, Adam is back at the counseling office and the nerd comes by and he's like, hey you know i i actually set up a date and he's like oh that's great you just met this girl and he's like well my mom set it up but anyway we're gonna go on a date do you know a good place we could go and he's like oh sure and he opens the door and sees like a girl standing there and they and she's way too nerdy for this guy according to adam's taste and so they just slam the door in her face and leave out the other door and he's like no you're on our team now for this game that we're playing like how horrible or like a student counselor like are you to just you know do this he's clearly only a a freshman male counselor because he doesn't care about the freshman girl like in the hallway he was supposed to be going on a date she's all dressed up it's so sad and they brush it off like it's a joke it would have been a perfect after credit scene to just show her crying outside the door at the counseling office 
she was perfect for him too yeah like she i was, mean she, she perfectly was exactly, matched yeah the guy they they were made for each other um so he steals this this geeky guy flinch away uh from his date to join the team um so now we everybody meets up with leon and candy and sunshine outside of some random building um I forget where he told them to meet him, but he said, we're going to be running game control and they both have game control shirts, except for Leon has the game master shirt or whatever, something like that. And, uh, and he gives everybody the first clue in an envelope and the girls hand out shirts that just conveniently match the colors of all their vehicles. So the nerds are on white bikes cause they're the white team, the they're white mopeds, white mopeds, the, the high tech blue van, they all get blue shirts uh meat machine it a, is it's a green it bug gets, they have a green volkswagen bug so they get green shirts the sorority team has a red pickup truck and uh the good guys just have this yellow jeep that they I bug like their friend the, into borrowing the two two of the sorority girls are like they're like these twins i think they're twins they are identical and twins. they yeah. like they just squeak like dolphins they don't have any they don't have any lines but they laugh like squeaking dolphins at each other all the time and they ride in the back of the pickup truck just squeaking away yeah yeah for the whole movie um so they get the first clue and the clue is the sea is reversed ss itari is mixed up and blind 38 22, 23. So reversing the C means see the instead of the C. Blind means take the eyes out. And mixed up means you rearrange the letters to get see the stars. But C is spelled S-E-A. The clue is supposed to be the words see the stars. None of the other ones are like this. The, the rest of them are just very straightforward sentences. But this one, the clue was see the stars. And the four teams that are on the road all have different interpretations of this clue none of them are the one that we immediately jumped to which is oh the griffith observatory yeah but the four teams that are like oh see the stars let's go to the wax museum let's get a map of celebrity homes let's go to the the walk of fame let's go to the uh what is it the star they go to some overlook so like Uh, some well no uh no i think that was the stars home the sorority team says they're going to go to a disco. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they went to some like roller rink or something. Yeah, but yeah. So uh, then we get a quick bit at Leon's house, and his landlady wants to kick him out. Basically, she says she has a letter that she can evict him if she gets one more complaint, um, because she just hates him. Even though he's not even making noise yet, mm-hmm. he's just sitting in his office, like tracking them on the wall. He he painted all of Los Angeles on the wall so they could keep track of where they are. It's actually a pretty cool map. Of yeah, LA. absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like one of those. Uh, novelty maps you would buy like it'd be like on the back of like a bob's burgers menu or something yeah, like yeah. that it's like it's a just, caricature yeah over exaggerated landmarks and, yeah. and some major streets and that's it um so the yellow team thinks that the numbers are the longitude and latitude on a star map but they're not having any luck the green team thinks that it's bra sizes at the wax museum the white team is counting steps up and down the walk of fame and lands on mickey mouse's star because this is a disney movie but they don't oh, know what yeah. that means. They're just like, oh, what does this mean? I assume that if I were on that team, I'd be like, okay, let's go to Disneyland, right? Like, Or go to the Disney lot. Like, mm-hmm. That would be the obvious interpretation of Mickey Mouse was where the clue led them if they thought that that was the actual clue. Um, and the sorority team is taking steps into this disco and just end up like colliding with some people in the club. And then suddenly the twins are like, <laughs> 
doing a little dance number and squeaking like dolphins um but uh the blue team just plugs the clue into their computer and immediately gets griffith observatory um because the computer can like totally unscrambles the clue and then figures (laughs) out exactly like what and it's not like there was a correct answer here like any of these could have been the correct interpretation of see the stars but the computer somehow knows that he's talking about the griffith observatory and says that's where you have to go and uh and that it's the coordinates of probably the telescope at the observatory um so eventually each of the teams comes to that conclusion oh stars the observatory let's go um and they're all up there and yellow team ends up getting to the telescope room first and they have to sort of haggle this kid to get off of it well they they get there after blue team has left blue team's like well they're still parked outside yeah blue team's laughing as they're leaving yeah and then he calls up leon and he's like hey your game's too easy i think we'll be done in an hour and uh (laughs) they have so they have to convince the kid that's on the telescope to leave the telescope but the kid the kid's there really late at night on like a weeknight Mm. looking through a telescope Well, his dad claims that he's studying venus for like some paper but like he's clearly not looking at venus we see what he's looking at is actually just well venus has many meanings (laughs) and he's looking at a woman on dress which I don't think you could see from the angle of this telescope on the top of the Hollywood Hills. Um, but also, I think we've discussed this uh, when we covered the Griffith Observatory in the MacGyver pilot, but isn't Venus one of those ones that you can only see like dawn and dusk? Yeah, but I mean, this is after sunset, just after sunset. Was it just after sunset? I thought it was like night. No, because uh, they start they officially start the game at sunset. Oh, okay. That's why his watch goes off. Says, it is now sunset. Okay. Um, but they eventually... Uh, trick the kid by saying wait a minute isn't that Venus over there and then the dad turns around like the dad has any idea what Venus looks like and it's just like the kid's like okay uh, we're good let's go and they check and see what the kid was looking at and it's this woman changing but they adjust the telescope to look at what they were trying to see right as all the other teams are starting to barge in mm-hmm. um, and and you know I have to say good on the, the green team for figuring that much like out? They, they figure out quite a few things. Yeah. And you wouldn't think that they would. Jeez, Richard, way to stereotype the jocks. I know. That's what they get. Pretty sure that the movie Just because they them. play football doesn't mean they're dumb. But so they, they figure out what the telescope's supposed to point at, which is like a roadside traffic sign that has their next clue, um, which says find the 8800 keys. And then when the green team is like, all right, we're going to look through that telescope. So they reset the telescope to look at this woman's bedroom again so that the guys are distracted long enough to give them more of a head start. How long does this woman take to change? Well, for some reason, everyone has a much easier time with this clue. I found it. To unlock the next clue, find the 8800 keys. Because immediately everyone is at this piano museum well yeah because you say 8800 keys and you automatically think of a piano right or but, 100 pianos <laughs> or yeah i mean 88 keys is pretty well known yeah um but yeah so they're all there basically at the same time uh one of leon's neighbors comes in to complain about the noise because now it's starting to get loud in there um and then realizes oh there's this weird interesting game going on um and the guy that comes in is the voice of Piglet. Yeah, John Fiedler. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, he, so he was also in 12 Angry Men. 
the yeah. original Twelve Angry Men. He, he was in a lot of stuff, and but I think you know because his that is his voice. Yeah, like Piglet's voice is is almost his regular voice. Yeah, uh, he's just one of those people. Um, I always remind, remember him from the uh, Art Carney Santa Claus Twilight Zone episode. Oh, okay. Uh, which is one of my favorites. I don't know that one. What is the premise? Uh, Art Carney is like a like a drunk, uh, but he always wants to do like nice things for people, but he can't. And he finds Santa's bag and starts handing out gifts because uh, every time he reaches in, he can pull out whatever he wants. Oh, okay. Uh, and it turns out it's because he's been his his gift his spirit of giving uh as as basically the santa claus rules like he's he's become the next santa oh okay so he killed santa isn't that the rule you have to murder santa in the santa claus when they reboot the santa claus movies they're gonna have to have someone kill tim allen at the beginning right (laughs) like that's how you get the job Um, what if somebody actually takes that too far does kill Tim Allen to get the reboot job. Whoever kills Tim Allen will become the next Tim Allen. <laughs> as, it, as Tim Allen became Tim Allen. <laughs> Ian, the Tim Allen clause. <laughs> I feel like we should put a disclaimer here. Don't kill Tim Allen. <laughs> or if you do, don't tell people that you listen to this podcast. Vintage video does not uh, condone the killing of Tim Allen. I mean, we're not fans or anything, but <laughs> don't kill him. Just because he's an awful person. Anyway. Whoa. Is he an awful person? Yeah, he's terrible. Oh, no. Yeah, he's pretty rough. Oh, we um, edit this part out. <laughs> you can stand up for him all you want. I'm going to say, on the record, vintage video does not condone Tim <laughs> Allen. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Harold uh, almost gets caught eating a bunch of marshmallows and decides to dump them all into the innards of the computer in their in their vehicle. Um Adam sees his brother on a bench trying to skip town. And he's like, oh, what are you doing? Mom and dad are on a trip. I'm supposed to be taking care of you. Now i got to drag you around all night because I can't trust you to stay in town. Um, So (laughs) everyone's at this piano place and they can't find the clue, even though it's sitting upright on a pedestal in the middle of the room, like dead center. Really obvious. Did we ever figure out if there ever actually was a piano museum in L.A.? I think there was. I mean, what... It, all of these locations are real uh, so far. And for the rest of the movie, they are all authentic. So I feel like they must have at least used real places. So but, we, get a, we get a nice little musical interlude here, too, as uh, Stephen First's team starts playing Heart yeah. and Soul on the pianos. Yes, yeah. on, on multiple instruments. And then suddenly instruments that aren't in the room start joining yeah. in the arrangement. Um, I mean, they're, they're dumb as bricks, but they seem to be able to play this music all right. Well, that's because they're the rich team. So they get like hammered on piano lessons when they're kids but they also get hammered on alcohol and they're stupid and um someone finally notices this clue um and they start playing the music and again uh the the meat machine team is the one to solve the clue because one of them plays the the notes of the of leon's theme which are printed up on top of the piano, and he recognizes it as the Pabst Blue Ribbon Jingle. Um, so everyone rushes off to the Pabst Brewery, which was in Los Angeles. Do we do um, we have that? Do we have that jingle? I sure. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
wow, that's really great. No, I'm just curious because yeah. I didn't actually like go and try to find the commercial or anything. Well, here's what they play in the movie. Wait a second, I know that song anyway. I got Pabst Blue Ribbon on my mind. It's the Pabst Blue Ribbon beer song. And then here is the actual jingle from the commercials to, for comparison. Naturally good Pabst. So everyone rushes off to the Pabst Brewery in Los Angeles, which did exist and was shut down in 1979. So maybe this was like <laughs> literally right after it shut down and they recorded in the brewery oh, after it had been evacuated. Well, maybe that's why they let the uh, let them film in there and like yeah, the guys and guy inside the in equipment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's possible that they did it right after it was shut down, or maybe just before it had officially shut down. Um, or when everyone knew that they were getting laid off. Yeah, do whatever the hell you want. I don't care. He's <laughs> like, hey, is it cool if we shoot a movie at that at, at where your job is closing down? He's like, yeah, I still have a key. Um, but yeah, so they they're in this brewery. Um, Scott, Adam's little brother, tries to order beer at a bar and the thing. And uh, we didn't mention this before, but Scott, who actually in his previous scene didn't have a single line, he just kind of makes facial expressions about yeah. not being able to leave town. But this is Michael J. Fox. Michael J. <laughs> Fox's first feature film appearance. Um, so friggin' young. Yeah. And I think he was like 16 at the time. And they needed a kid who was available for night shoots. Kind of similar to what happened with Back to the Future, mm-hmm. that because uh, he, he had the day job on TV, and they ended up shooting all of his stuff at night or most of it at night. Um, but yeah, so uh, he tries to get beer and gets his whole team thrown in the the brig of this brewery, <laughs> which the is brewery just, brig, the, which is just where they store the beer. Yeah, so they're like, "No, you can't have beer. Get in the beer locker," and they throw him in a room just full of beer. But then while they're sitting in there, this forklift is dropping pallets of of beer with a big drawing on the side of it that has the next clue mr carson's obese male child what kind of clue is that i feel like that would have been hard to coordinate like how do you You're plan just, that the forklift well, is going to put these particular cases in this location at the right time just when there's being thrown in there well it doesn't have to be just when they're being thrown in there he was counting on these people being enough of a mess to get thrown in where he's been thrown when he got out of line at the brewery and that's this room and he met that guy when he was locked in that room and said hey if i drew some art on these boxes could you put them over there on friday night or whenever i don't know i'm making up a lot of backstory um <laughs> but yeah uh blaylack uh dirk blocker from the meat machine uh jumps in a tank of beer <laughs> while they're there which reminds me a lot of the beer fest scene uh when the bad guys toss one of their teammates in a big vat of beer to drown him and he starts drinking the entire thing um spoiler alert he drowns uh the opposite happens in strange brew oh right (laughs) he drinks all the beer it's just the size of the tank yeah um that's a weird movie that has the it's Rick Moranis and what's his name? Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas, yeah. And Max von Sydow. <laughs> was it? It was. Yeah. He's like the crazy guy. Oh my gosh, that's the, funny. The founder of Wendy's was in that movie? Uh, no, that's Dave Thomas. This is Dave Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> You're confusing them. 
Um, but anyway. The next clue. The next clue written on the side of the boxes is Mr. Carson's obese male child, which I would have just been like, Ed McMahon? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they see Mr. Carson and assume that they're saying Johnny. And obese male child means fat boy because... It's a clue directing them to Johnny's Fat Boy Burgers, a restaurant on Wilshire, which is an actual location on Wilshire, still there, and still has a Johnny's sign, but it's never been a Johnny's Fat Boy Burger. It's just a fake shell of a restaurant, which I thought was the restaurant from Pulp Fiction, but it is not. Ah. The one from Pulp Fiction was Hawthorne Grill, and it's no longer there. Um, But this place, Johnny's, is a real place on Wilshire, and it was used in The Big Lebowski, that scene where he says, I can get you a tow. Believe me. There are ways, dude. You don't want to know about it, believe me. Yeah, but Walter. Hell, I can get you a tow by 3 o'clock this afternoon with nail polish. Reservoir Dogs, so Tarantino did shoot there at least. Miracle Mile, American History X. So it's been in a lot of big movies, and it's only used for movies. It's Mm. not a real diner. Uh, More neighbors join Leon's party. It's getting more crowded, and the landlord keeps popping in and reminding him, if I get one complaint, you're out on your ass. The blue team is now computerless. Uh, because all of the marshmallows melted into their computer. That's so weird. It. I always store my marshmallows in my computer, and they're fine. I store my computer in my marshmallows to keep it cool. So, it, you know, it works either way. I only put stuff in marshmallows when it gets wet. If you drop your phone in water, you got to put it in a big bag of marshmallows. And if you're ever cooking your marshmallows and they get a little too dry, throw some phones in there. <laughs> what? <laughs> None of this makes sense. Um... The blue team is computerless, so they don't have any way to solve the clue. Mr. Carson's obese male child. Unless they just, like, notice the other cars. And they do. Um, Even though they were at this piano museum, now suddenly they're on Wilshire and notice the cars. And so they pull up next to the yellow team's car and let all the air out of their tires before they go in. And and drain their gas tank. Yeah. I feel like they are acting like and this take movie takes place in a small town. This is like taking Los place Angeles in is Los like Angeles. the biggest city. It's huge. It is sprawling. And yeah. I guess it wasn't quite it, as sprawling in 1980, but it is still pretty darn big that yeah. you wouldn't just randomly run across the people that you go to school with in their car on the street. Yeah. But Johnny's is clearly here playing a parody of like uh, a Bob's Big Boy, but apparently they couldn't get the rights to Bob's Big Boy. I guarantee it was Bob's Big Boy in the first draft of the script. The clue written on the menu as they enter the restaurant is look between the two giant melons. So everyone orders like a bunch of melons and this waitress is trying to bring melons to all the tables, but she also has giant boobs. And they're all like, what is between the melons? I don't get it. And they're not looking at her. But then finally someone realizes, oh, she has a necklace and there's something written on it on a little pendant right between her melons. Right. And so they start doing like horrible things. Yeah. To try to get her attention, to get her over to, like, see her necklace. Yeah. Like, nobody actually just goes up to her and be like, oh, what a pretty necklace. Could I see that? You know, they start, like, throwing dishes on the floor and they making go, a There's mess. There's a cockroach in my water. And then Stephen first wins the attention contest by literally standing up and just sweeping all of their garbage onto the floor. And instead of, like, running to the back room and locking the safe room, she's like, oh, I'll help you first since you have the biggest mess. Mm-hmm. Even though you clearly just made it yourself. But then... Someone finally gets close enough to read that it says hug me on her necklace. Um, Which I think is a weird, like... It's a weird necklace. It's a weird clue. All of it's weird. Because, one, 
Is she wearing the necklace as a part of the game? As part of the game? I think so. And if so, like saying hug me as a clue would mean Am I supposed to hug her yeah, to exactly. get the next part of the hug. clue? Right, right, right. Cause, but they, they put together that it's somehow uh, another word scramble. Yeah. It might be scrambled. Now what can we make of this? Uh, he mug. Come he. Mihug, muhig, megu, megi. Miga, megvi, meghu, mughi. Gume, gemu, guhim, gihum. Hegmu, humig. Hegmi, hujum, he. Wait a minute. Say that last word again. Hujum? But also, it's only two letters that are scrambled. Yeah, that is weird. Right. So it's um, supposed to be huge M. Yeah, when they're re- rearranging the letters, they realize, oh, where is there a huge M? Oh, at the mini golf place. Um, which actually, I said before that they're all real locations. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's that castle golf place or whatever. Yeah, by the 405. I think it is that yeah. castle but, golf. Um, yeah. But it's not the place that it's playing. And Johnny's also isn't a real restaurant, so... I, I lied to you earlier, and I just wanted to come clean about that. I will never they're, trust you again. They're not all real places. Some of them are fabricated for the purposes of the film. So they're looking for a huge M, and they uh, they start heading to the golf place. Um, now that the tires are out, Adam and Flinch basically try to hitchhike to the huge M, while um, Laura and Scott kind of get separated because Scott's sad. Because his brother doesn't like him. And he's really mad at his brother because his brother forgot that it's his birthday. Even though his parents also went out of town. On his birthday. On his son's birthday. And we're just like... Sometimes you gotta go out of town and it might coincide with the kid's birthday. Right, but if it does, you probably say something like, Oh, by the way, don't forget, it's Scott's birthday on Wednesday, so... You know, get him a cookie or some shit. (laughs) Just, like, do something nice for your brother because we're gonna be gone. But uh, anyway, he's just, he wandered into the parking lot and is petting some stray dog that's sticking out of a car. Um, <laughs> is it a stray like, dog if it's sticking out of a car? I think so, yeah. And by sticking out of a car, he's just sticking his head out of a window. You made it sound like he's a disembodied like, Yeah, somebody ran over a stray dog, dog and its corpse was hanging out of a car. And then Michael J. Fox went over and pet the corpse. Um, so, he's a very macabre child. Yes. He doesn't. He forgot my birthday. Yeah. Uh, can you stop touching that? Um. <laughs> stop hitting it from the inside. <laughs> <laughs> what side am I supposed to pet? Um. So, uh, Adam and Flinch get to the golf course. Everybody gets to the golf course. They all figure out the clue. They all get to the golf course at the right. same time. Every single one of these clues, it's pointless. They're all getting there at the same time. Um. And there's a lot of fighting. Uh, and confusion at the golf course the girls get um a parking ticket because they park illegally at the golf course um and the uh rich kids try to cheat yeah they go straight to the 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 18th 18th hole thinking that they can just cut to the cut to the end which they think they succeed at because like this this flag pops up after they get the ball yeah. in the hole and they get like this envelope off the flag and then they read it and they're like, it's just as I told you not to cheat. Yeah. Yeah. It just <laughs> so, so does nice that happen for everyone who plays that golf course? Uh, no, they... just them. It somehow can detect. Or maybe there's like a person under there that pushed the flag up. Uh, so as they're playing through the golf course, um, Adam and Flinch find a sign that says look at xylophone initially 5 30 a.m and look at xylophone initially to me as 
an occasional crossword puzzle enthusiast, I recognize initially means just use the first letters of the last three words. So it's a very simple crossword puzzle clue that means LAX. And then the 5.30 a.m. is the confusing part of it. Uh, I, I kind of I wanted to, <laughs> to make the comment during the movie was uh, this sounds a lot like uh, Murdoch's letter during the uh, when he's the, pretending to be the oh, yeah. the head of the play yeah. and they get that like cryptic the, poem the acrostic <laughs> of uh, of just saying his own name Murdoch yeah um, but yeah so they go to LAX um, and the yellow team is immediately uh, blocked by these Hari Krishna people handing out flyers looking right they're clearly dressed as Hare krishnas um and they try to hand off some flyers and the obviously the flyers you know mitch hedberg here you throw this away they just drop the flyer immediately after walking away and well and everyone's actually like all the different teams are incredibly mean to these guys right but it was 1980 everyone was really mean to these people like literally in the movie airplane later this year people are just walking up and punching the Hare Krishnas in the face the second they start talking. Like, I guess I, I, maybe I don't know, like, because I wasn't, I wasn't at an airport in 1980. I was, you know, I wasn't alive in 1980. I was probably at an airport in 1982, barely, (laughs) because my mom was a flight attendant when she was pregnant with me. I I have been given literature at airports. But, like, are they mean? Are they aggressive? No, no, no. No, they're just annoying. They're just annoying? Like, how, I just can't imagine Have you ever hung up on a, on a, like, uh, you know, a person selling you something? That person is not standing in front of me. Like, I just can't imagine Would you hate them any less if they were standing in front of you? I think people are more civil if they're standing in front of people that it's like, if, it's like if, road rage. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, yell at somebody and scream in their face and flip them off if they cut you off on a sidewalk, you know, like if you, if you, <laughs> really? you're, you're guessing things about me. Okay. I'm just saying like, you're more aggressive when you're not standing in front of a person. That's like somebody's standing in front of me. I'm not going to just like, you know, hit them and it, smack all the papers out of their hands. No, yeah. but it's, it's. I think it's it, just they, they did it in a very harassing manner. It, well, also. in this movie, but in reality, it's that they they try to use like, oh, just a minute of your time, and and even if you say no, it's like, oh no, it'll just be a minute. And it's like, I just wanted you to read this. It's, like, it's okay, I understand. You know, you got places to go. Like they they keep trying to talk to you. They keep trying to engage with you, even yeah. though you made it clear that you what don't what they're want. doing in this movie, I think, was on par with what people actually did, which was no, I don't want your papers. Bye. Just walk past them. Yeah. And we're very dismissive. I think airplane takes it up another level with the punching the people or like physically getting aggressive with them. But I think in real life people were like, in this movie no, they do that too, no, though. get out of the, like shoving them maybe, but not like literally just punching them in the face. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they uh, they get to the airport and they're wandering around. Um, they get the clue that five thirty a.m. is an, is a radio frequency. Um. Which, it's uh, airport traffic. Yeah, it's the airport traffic station. Which I which, find surprising that Leon could co- co-opt the airport traffic. I'm sure he just had a pirate station set up very nearby and hijacked the frequency for But him. I think that the 5.30 a.m. thing is a local frequency already. Like, it is. He had to overpower it with another local radio broadcast. broadcast. Right, and, and then use it just at the moment that they happen to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's a lot of convenient timing in this movie. He also, like, if he tried to do this today, would immediately be like, oh, guess what? We got you a ticket to Guantanamo because you're a terrorist now. Um, you can't hijack LAX radio. 
Um, or leave things in lockers. <laughs> yeah, but it yeah, but it turns yeah, wrapped in like wrapped gifts, luggage you didn't bring with you to the airport. Um, but the Krishna people, it turns out, are spies for Leon that are telling him who got there and at what time, which is really irrelevant to Leon. I mean, I guess he's vaguely keeping track. Yeah, he's like, got just, an audience. Just now. move the cars down to the LAX logo. They're all at the same place at the same time. He has to. Um, he has to keep up the 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 show now for his audience of i guess they're all other tenants of his building yeah Mm -hmm. that are all just walking in and it's not like they're betting on it or well they eventually are yeah but at the beginning they're just so intrigued with the game that they're walking in like it's not like it's televised or anything like yeah you're just getting (laughs) a phone call every hour and 45 minutes that says hey they're here now Um, well it's uh i kind of think you were you were talking about uh this was the inspiration for like a real thing. And then it led to the game. Yeah. The great all nighter or something like that. Right. Called it. Uh, but to me, this was a lot more like it's mad, 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 mad world. Yeah. Uh, where it's not so much that they're following clues in that, but it's the, the constant reporting of everyone's progress and the game of it from the perspective of the police who are taking bets on it. Yeah. And who are, Placing all their little pins on maps and mm-hmm. following them how, how they're where they're going. When did that film come out? Is Mad 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 World? I would say 60, 62. But it is it is playing at the Arclight. Sixty three. I was off by a year. I was close. You were close. Um But yeah, so while they're at LAX they realize that these flyers that they're that someone's trying to hand them. Uh, which eventually a stack of them gets thrown in the air and they all end on the ground and people are like, hey, there's a picture of Leon on this. And it says for them to check lockers. And nearby there is a set of five lockers that are color-coded to the teams. Everybody goes in and grabs... Um, only theirs. Only theirs, which uh, strategically you would want to grab everyone's presents, throw four of them in the trash, uh, and take one. They open them up and they have four things inside, three Polaroids and, uh, and a ball. Well, they weren't all Polaroids. Yeah. Two Polaroids. Well, and a letter, one a letter cut out E. Letter e and a ball. Yeah. And uh, one of the guys in the in the blue van is immediately like, oh, cherry point. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, chair, because there's a guy sitting in a chair. The letter E and point safety for pin. a safety pin. And and they're like, okay, what's the ball for? And he's like, wee. He's like, <laughs> gonna, like slaps it. at a box and launches it across the car. And then they start fighting in the car. Um, but Adam sees it and immediately goes, oh, pinball city, pinball city, which is, it looked like a, another real place just based on the fact that I don't think they would bother to make the sign for this place. It looked like Flynn's arcade to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but they did bother to make the uh, signage for the Starfire video game. Right. Yes. Um, which is what it's a, it's an actual Star Wars game. Yeah, it was it's the 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 vector graphics uh, Star Wars game. Right, but it's playing the Starfire video game in yeah. this film. Uh, and this the proprietor like a, of the pinball place. This is like a prophecy that Disney would own that property too one yeah, day. They just knew. But um, we also get uh, the first ever feature film appearance of Pee Wee Herman, and not Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens, uh, who would later play Pee Wee Herman. But this is his first feature film. And, he and he's is, dressed like a little cowboy. Yeah, yeah. he looks very Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> and he's uh, he runs the pinball city. And uh, he's yelling at everybody to uh, be good. And um, he gives them a bunch of money to keep playing this game. 
because it com- becomes clear that this game is important to the challenge. He walks up to um, the guy, I forget what his name was, that was... Um, the guy whose Jeep it was. The guy whose Jeep it was. And he points a gun at him and he's like, I got you, didn't I? And then he points the gun at his palm and pulls the trigger and a bunch of quarters fall out so they can keep playing this game. Well, he was give- he gave him like a 20. Like that was, ex- he was exchanging money. Oh, but that's how, like at this arcade, that's how they exchange money is he's got a gun full of quarters yeah. that he shoots okay. into people's hands. I missed that point. Um, but that's, uh, so he gives them all these coins um, and they sit down to play this Star Wars game over and over again. The point being, you have to beat this game um, to get the clue. And Adam's not very good at the game, but Scott beats it all the time. And, uh, and he's game. just like, yeah, well, <laughs> both. <laughs> so he's in the corner of the room beating it, watching them play this game. And uh, and he's just laughing at them because they're not good at the game. And, uh, and Laura walks over and she's like, what's the matter what's so funny and he's just like i beat that game every day like you guys are doing terrible i could beat that game with my eyes closed and she's like oh okay well let's go tell adam you're amazing at this and he's like no no no, i I hate my brother he's mean i don't want to help him do anything so um eventually she talks him into sitting down and he beats the game handily and a video starts playing of Leon, and meanwhile, there's two other teams now have shown up oh, and can hear we, the audio. We forgot. We forgot how they knew they had to play this game, though. There was like a there was the machine, the um, like, like one of those machine. old old. Oh, right. Yeah, it was a, it was like a Zoltar machine. It was like a you know a wish giving one, yeah. but it, like it was clearly a woman like it, like doing your fortune telling, and they had a Leon beard on it. I just love oh, that really? they like pasted on this Leon beard to turn the woman into like the dude. <laughs> but yeah, so that tells them to play the game, and so they sit down. But this video, like Leon, has somehow hacked into the arcade to make the video game play an actual like VHS tape at the end or a beta tape probably yeah. of him saying wearing little like alien like antenna yeah. and he, he tells them that the finish line is at the Bonaventure Hotel and loud enough for the green and red teams the meat machine and the for or the sorority team to hear where they're supposed to go but instead of following the yellow team out of the building immediately they stick around and fight each other and right. completely destroy the Pinball City place. Like, seriously destroy Like, they break it. everything in the whole entire location. And the girls are, like, laying across those, like, the those cannons that you shoot. You knock over, like, little puppets with at a right, Chuck right, E. Cheese. Right. And uh, the guys are just throwing stuff from behind the ticket stand. And uh, they're just, for, like, 20 minutes, crashing into it or throwing stuff and breaking everything in the place. But it doesn't matter because once again, everyone arrives at the Bonaventure. Right, everyone gets to the hotel at the same time, even though everyone, they should have all had, you know, different arrival times. But uh, Adam doesn't even say thanks to Scott for beating the game or acknowledge it in any way. He's like, come on, we got to go. And then uh, Scott's like, what the hell, man? Like, I was trying to help and you don't care. And he just runs off because he feels like he's not being acknowledged. And he's like, okay, let's go to the Bonaventure Hotel. And... Uh, their driver's like, I'm not going. I'm not going to drive this car. Like, you're being so mean to your brother. And Laura's like, we got to go find him. Like, what are you talking about? So Adam leaves on his own. He takes the car yeah. and leaves the yeah. other two to find his brother who yeah. ran off. So they're off, like sad. chasing his brother down. But they don't even, the uh, Laura and the, the other guy don't find the brother. The brother like wanders off into the middle of the street and the blue van pulls up 
and he can hear Stephen first inside going, I just want the next clue. I don't know what's going on. He's like, I could tell you where the finish line is. And uh, they're like, oh, we'll get in the car then. And instead of being like taking advantage of a potential turncoat and being like, we'll give you whatever you want. Like, it's going to be great. They're like threatening him and like telling like. like he was you, offering you the information. Yeah, he was I don't think you, you have information to treat him poorly. He clearly poorly. is mad at his brother. Like all you had to do was be nice to him for five minutes. But instead they're already like shouting in his face and interrogating him. And eventually they throw him out of the car in the middle of the street. Man, that's a really rough throw. Yeah. Um, After he gave up the location of right. the finish line. Um, but yeah, so while Scott has been gone, Laura has explained to Adam, we need to find your brother, it's important, and also, you're a jerk, you forgot his birthday. Um, which Adam didn't realize until this point. So uh, he turns around and he picks them up and he says, we're going to go find my brother. And then they find him in the middle of the street. And he gives him a big hug and then they all head off to the Bonaventure Hotel. Um, uh, Leon gets there first because Leon has to check in with all of his all of the people from his apartment building who are all coming up to his like double room including the the landlady who has now been arrested right the the landlady was arrested because she called the police to uh, file the final complaint that would get Leon evicted and while the police were in the apartment learning how the game worked she picked up his his uh, ham radio or something and threw it on the ground to break it. And it's like, oh, that's destruction of property, so you're under arrest. But they want to see how the game ends, so they first, they bring her to the Bonaventure Hotel mm-hmm. with them. Um, so everybody, including the handcuffed landlady, the police, all of his neighbors, his two assistants, and himself, all fit comfortably in this one room for supposedly three right. people. Um, it was and- like a suite. It was like a... Right, but at the room. at the front desk, he says it's literally a, it's just a double room. Like you, you have, there's a lot of people with you. There's not this room is, won't support that. But it's a 1980s people. double room, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, but the teams all start to arrive at the hotel, and hotel security is immediately brought up. Like, hey, you need to fix this because there's people driving mopeds. Uh, oh, we I forgot to mention that uh, before they left the the pinball city. Uh, the meat machine crashed their VW bug into the <laughs> the sorority pickup truck and pushed it over a barrier into the LA River. Yeah, it's just into this empty concrete basin, crashes upside down. So they end up getting a ride from the nerds to get down to. Um, well, they the- do a trade with the nerds because when the so the nerds showed up at the pinball place, yeah. the fight had already ensued, and they had they broke they broke the machine, the machine right as the nerds were sitting down. So to the nerds the, couldn't the get the game. clue, and so the nerds didn't have the clue, and the sorority didn't have a ride, and so they made a joint uh, joint effort to get to the final location yeah. together. And so. and even when they're at the location, they continue to work together to to fight search against green machine. <laughs> Well, they immediately are uh, tried. They try to get arrested by the uh, by the hotel security, and they fight with them for a while. Um, there's a lot of hijinks going on all over this hotel. We get a quick look at the control room for the elevators while one team is getting distracted, um, and uh, suddenly Leon comes on the PA system and says, "Look at the pool area," and I mean this expressly. Meaning, get on the express elevator to look at the pool from above. Um, and two teams figure that out. 
Well, one team figures it out and the other team follows, follows them. them. Yeah. So they get on the express elevator and while they're going up, they see, oh, Leon's in this particular room of the hotel. So that's where we need to go. Right. From overhead, it's spelled out in like lawn chairs or something. Right. But because this is the express elevator, they have to take it the whole way to the top of the hotel and then the whole way back down. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting to me is like why they went back down the elevator. Like at that point, I feel like I know it's the express elevator, so it won't go to the correct floor. But there should be other elevators on that floor that aren't express. But there should be a different elevator at the top that isn't an express. Or stairs. Or there should be stairs and you could go down the number of stairs. That's true. The stairs makes more sense. I was going to say maybe there is only the express elevator to the penthouse. Maybe. Um, but, but you're right. There would at least, in case of a fire, there should be stairs. There to would go down. definitely be stairs. And I would just take the stairs down to that floor because I feel like that would be faster than going all the way back down to the, and then all the way back up but to the But instead, right the, the rich kids team stops their elevator and gets out and then shuts off all the elevators by cutting the power to the control room. So now hotel security is stuck in one elevator. The yellow team is stuck in the other elevator. And the rest of the teams are outside fighting. Right. And the blue team is free to go up the stairs to get to Leon's floor in the finish line. Um, so they Which are is going... a struggle for the overweight yes. meatheads of the... Uh, it's, it's specifically just Stephen First. It seems like the rest of them could have gone up without him, but they kept hanging back to make fun of him. But it's 27 floors. I mean, that's a lot. Were they starting from the bottom? I guess they were. Yeah. They started from the bottom. Now they're here. Let me know when we get to 20. I'm going to throw up. Where do these stairs go? Up. They go up. So they decide that we're going to hack our way out of this elevator. So the yellow team says, oh, they shut off the power. But you know what doesn't require power? These power doors. (laughs) If I had a wire, I could stick them in this keyhole. And that would make electricity. Because that's how electricity works. So they don't have any wire, though. But Scott has a retainer. So he takes it out. And they bend it all out of shape. Do you know how expensive retainers are? In the 80s? Yeah. It depends on the attorney. I think that his parents are going to be furious that that retainer his got His parents ruined. are rich. They're out of town on business on their kid's birthday. They make bank. But anyway. They, they ruined uh, a perfectly good retainer. Yeah. But that's fine. He's, his teeth are out they'll, right. they'll, they'll buy a new one with a cash prize. There yeah. was no cash oh, prize. Oh, that's right. They're doing this for literally no reason. They totaled their pickup truck in the L.A. River, yep. and they destroyed like four businesses over the course of the night. Johnny's is going to have to shut down for a week to replace all their dishes, which <laughs> looked like they were like earthenware. Like it, like every plate and dish in that place was like like brown matte, like a weird shape. It looked they like were it, probably just weird they, breakaway plates. I think yeah, they just made them for the for that one shoot. Those those sounds sounded real. Wow, you can't fake sound, folks. Yeah, can't, yeah definitely can't break plates separately and comp that in. Well, I guess if you had to break plates to get the recording, then you broke plates. That's expensive already. Anyway, um, yeah, so they hack the elevator open and they get to the 27th floor. Uh, and uh, right as they're coming out of the elevator on one side of the hall, the blue team is coming out of the elevator on the other side of the hall. And then... Um, Stephen first basically pulls the fire hose off of the wall. <laughs> but he doesn't just pull the fire hose off the wall. He takes the other guy on his team's hand and oh, breaks, breaks the, the glass yeah. with the with the other guy's hand and yeah. then pulls the hose out of the yeah. wall. 
And then he lines up like he's going to spray them. And then at the last second, the police get out of their elevator. and Or the, the hotel security get out of their elevator right when he turns the hose on. And suddenly Harold is spraying all the hotel security with water and getting arrested. And so Yellow Team is able to walk triumphantly into Leon's room and win the game. Um, and basically we cut right to a party like an after party happening at the hotel pool and, and everyone, everyone's happy about it yeah Nobody everyone cares if it's just a game it was it's so it was like the most heartwarming moment that everyone's just kind of laughing and having a good time about what happened and again there's no prize there's no prize involved. they got a plaque they didn't even get the placard they didn't even get a whole congratulations speech they move into the lobby of the hotel and Leon says for your work here today and then he gets cut off by the blue team getting arrested and then suddenly Harold just like runs over and eats the entire platter of food that's set out for them and knocks his girlfriend into the pool or like a fountain in the lobby and that's like the end of the movie <laughs> that's basically he just interrupts their the prize ceremony I mean presumably they got the placard later but in the movie they don't even get the placard that they <laughs> won for this contest it's it's not clear why uh, anyone was even trying so hard to win this when they didn't get anything out of it they had their pride yeah that's true well the writer and director of this movie there were two guys that wrote and directed it michael nankin this was his first feature he's done a lot of tv um, eight episodes of the battlestar galactica reboot um he also uh wrote the gate and the gate 2 nice um and a movie called ruski's um, and David Wechter, who did the music with his wife and co-wrote and co-directed, was the director of most of the episodes, maybe all of the episodes of Penn and Teller's Bullshit. Oh, um, And great. he also uh, wrote The Faculty. <laughs> he had a story credit on The Faculty. I have, I have a weird love-hate relationship with that movie. Well, it's, it's the best thing Robert Rodriguez has ever and will ever do. Um, David Naughton, obviously... Uh, we mentioned before this was his first feature film but he came back to play david in american werewolf in london next year uh he plays dan in hot dog the movie which hot is hot dog the movie it's coming up later in the 80s that's interesting there's a connection to that later that's the only reason i bring it up um he also played martin casera in ice cream man which is the movie <gasps> about uh, clint ice howard as a murderous ice cream man. And he played Ambassador Kessler in Sharknado 5. <laughs> so he's still working. Um, Deborah Klinger, who played Laura on the yellow team. Uh, she plays a character named Super Chick in a bunch of Sid and Marty Croft stuff. Like they had a bunch of like variety hour stuff. And this character apparently crossed over into an episode of the Brady's at one point. Um, she's still around. She's alive. But she doesn't have any credits after 1982. So I don't know if she just retired from working or what. Uh, Michael J. Fox, this is his first film ever. You know him from Teen Wolf, Back to the Future, and probably The Clone High Pilot is his best known work, uh, where he played one of Gandhi's kidneys. I miss him. You're not, we're not going to talk about uh, Spin City. Spin or... City, yeah. What is this? <laughs> what is this? Huh? Um, no, uh, yeah, I guess Spin City is kind of well known, but Clone High, if you like. When people hear Michael J. Fox, they think Gandhi's remaining kidney from Clone High. Um, Stephen First, Harold, the blue team leader, was Dorfman in Animal House. The Dorf Dorfman. <laughs> um, and he was uh, in the dream team with Michael Keaton, we said before. Patricia Alice Albrecht, who was Lucille on the blue team. Uh, Harold's girlfriend. 
she kind of seems like one of those like the the bad guy like bad girls from like one of those mm-hmm. 80s cartoons Amal. because she is the voice of pizzazz the lead singer of the gem rivals the misfits oh there you the go animated series um she actually has a lot of animated credits uh one that i thought was interesting not an animated credit a live action credit for her is called force five which i think for most people like would remind force them of five of Navarone. oh it's force 10 Never no mind. it's called force colon five which reminded me of fox force five which i think must be a reference to this because force five is about a martial arts expert who leads a team of fellow martial artists to rescue a senator's daughter from an island ruled by an evil cult leader um so that sounds very fox force five ish fox force five is the pilot that uma thurman had shot in the movie pulp fiction fictional pilot it's Mm. also about a team of martial artists um andy Tennant, who played Melio on the blue team uh who is just one of the other dumb guys in the in the blue van um he is mostly a director he directed uh orb scholar and briscoe for the defense yeah he did from briscoe county jr uh, he directed the Sliders pilot. <gasps> he directed the Bill and Ted animated series pilot. Um, he also directed It Takes Two, Fools Rush In, Ever After, Sweet Home Alabama, Hitch, and Fools Gold. And, uh, and a couple of episodes of Parker Lewis. Some of those movies lose. that oh, there I you go. don't want to admit that I really like. <laughs> Ever After. <laughs> um, and he's currently helming a feature film adaptation of The Secret. Yes, that The Secret. Oh, <laughs> the no. adaptation of The the movie where if you if you think it then it will be um he also appeared in greece one and two prior to this and he appeared as babyface in 1941 so he was with eddie deason in greece one it, greece two babyface in 1941 and this the movie 1941 right yes. he didn't appear in baby's face well he probably had a baby face in 1941 no he's not definitely not 40 in this movie uh, Brian Fishman, who played Barf on the Blue Team, is also in 1941 as a USO goon. Was that a Disney movie too? No. Yeah. Huh. Uh, was that uh, Amblin? Or I don't know. Spielberg it, directed. Spielberg directed it, and, and Zemeckis and Gale wrote it. Uh, I don't remember. Um, Sal Lopez, who was also on the Blue Team, played T H E Rock in Full Metal Jacket. Um, Maggie Roswell, we said before, was the voice of. Uh, a bunch of Simpsons characters. Um, the twins, Peggy and Lulu from the Red Team, were also in a movie called Hamburger the Motion Picture. So we have someone from Hot Dog the Movie and Hamburger the Motion Picture. <laughs> um, Eddie Deason, we said before, was in both Grease movies and 1941 with the people above. Dirk Blocker from the Green Team was Jeff Shaw in Poltergeist. And right now is probably best known as Hitchcock on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, one of... Uh, the the two older cops that work in the in the station uh kristen baker who played sunshine will come back as terry in friday the 13th part two and she is also an uncredited jogger in the movie cruisin which we will be reviewing very soon it's a mere two episodes away um john fielder who played mr thorpe was of course juror number two in 12 angry men which was his first feature film and he is the voice of piglet paul rubens was peewee um max in flight of the navigator he's the host of star tours mm-hmm. and uh my favorite performance from him ever was as like the uh gerhardt character on 30 rock where he was like this <laughs> crippled Habsburg yeah. heir to like the throne some inbred uh royal <laughs> uh but don't forget the spleen that was gonna say mystery men he oh was yeah that's great right great mystery that's, men. that's worth mentioning but yeah 
This is I, somebody I, I'm living out? Well, no, because I'm looking at IMDb as you're reading these. And every time I read it, I misread it. The, the John Fiedler's wife is played by Seal Gabo. And the the placement of the letters of Seal and the word and the last name Gabo, I keep thinking it says Gal Gadot. Oh, yeah, I think I had that problem, too. And I can say, oh, Gal Gadot was in this movie? And I was like, no, okay, no, I just keep no, She wasn't even born yet. <laughs> uh, what do we think? Is this one worth watching? I say no. Uh, I say yes. Uh, I'm going to also say no right. on this one. That's fair. Um, it's just got too many cameos for me to say no and too many first appearances. Um, letterboxed. Uh, so I put it uh, after Simon, uh, but ahead of To All a Good Night. Okay. Uh, for me, I have it actually above Hero at Large, but below American Gigolo. Okay. On mine, I have it uh, above Simon and below My Brilliant Career. Right now, it's in third place for the year for me. I think that's everything for this one. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help new people find the show. And if you find the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through Patreon at patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we will be discussing Bob Guccione's Caligula which Wikipedia describes as a 1979, and we're reviewing it because it was released in the United States in 1980, erotic historical drama film focusing on the rise and fall of Roman Emperor Caligula, starring Malcolm McDowell, Teresa Ann Savoy, Helen Mirren, Peter O'Toole, John Steiner, and John Gilgood. It is the only feature film produced by men's magazine Penthouse. We leave you now with the trailer for Caligula. They spoke of it first in whispers, then it took the media by storm. I have existed from the morning of the world, and I shall exist until the last star falls from the heavens. Although I have taken the form of Caius Caligula, I am a god. Bob Guccione and Penthouse Films International present Caligula. You amateur. Amateur? No treachery could equal his evil. No evil was more treacherous. He's mad! Caligula, the emperor who devoured Rome. Malcolm McDowell, Teresa Ann Savoy, Helen Mirren, Peter O'Toole, John Gielgud. No rumor can match the reality. Caligula, rated R.